Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. We are all called to evangelize. It's right there at the end of the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This week, we celebrate the feasts of two of the great evangelists of the Catholic Church, St. Luke and Pope St. John Paul II. Our first offering on today's sampler comes from the good folks at DiscerningHearts.com with a look at St. Luke the Evangelist. I'm Bruce McGregor. She is Chris McGregor. And of course, on Mondays, we have him with us because you demand it and we love it as well. Mark Hart, Vice President of Life Teen International, a very sought after conference speaker and published author. We're going to talk about uh, the latest offering from uh, Mark Hart and Chris Cuddy here in just a couple of moments. But first, I would like to somewhat formally welcome to the program, Mr. Mark Hart. Wow. Somewhat formally, thank you. I somewhat formally respond with great gratitude and humility. Hey, when you're you're helping to publish a Bible for Catholic teens that gets an imprimatur from Bishop Olmsted, I mean, hey, I I think that that formality is due. Thank you very uh, much for joining all. us, Mark. We yeah. really appreciate it. I'm excited. I'm just excited to even have gotten to work on such a such a tremendous and blessed resource, you know. And, and Bishop Olmsted, his office, they're just wonderful people out here in the Diocese of Phoenix. We're so we're very very grateful to the Holy See for having him. And I'm grateful to my 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 my, uh, my brother in Christ, Christopher Cuddy. He's just one of the most talented uh, minds in the kingdom, in my opinion. And uh, he's actually in seminary right now, so pray for him. Yeah, absolutely. He's very very excited. Uh, I'm very excited for him. And and before he went behind the the hallowed walls, I actually I asked I asked. Chris to, to help me uh, pen some original sections for, for our new Catholic Teen Bible through Life Teen, just to help people uh, be able to break into Scripture a little more easily, to, to be able to navigate it uh, with a little more confidence, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So, But hey, we're not here to talk about just the Bible, but we're here to talk about the Bible, especially the Gospel of our good brother, St. Luke. Am I correct? St. Luke, you are absolutely right, sir. Okay, good, because, okay, good. I need to think I didn't know what we were talking about. Good. Okay, let's first, before we jump into the Gospel, I have to ask a couple questions about Luke. What's that? Okay, was he a doctor? We believe he was a physician. Okay. Yes. Uh, now, now we we can think of that in a lot of different ways. A physician can be thought of not just in in a person that that has you know a, a healing ministry, but also someone who's very learned, mm-hmm. very, very well written, very uh, well spoken, um, someone who has had tremendous amounts of schooling. You know, so, so they use the word doctor for a lot of different things. But yeah, like you, most likely a physician. <laughs> you know, far more than me. But yeah, most likely also a medical physician. Yes. Okay, and it is said that he was also an iconographer. Yes, mm-hmm. and. An iconographer is someone who doesn't paint but writes with images. Right, exactly. And, and honestly, St. Luke is the most uh, poetic, I would say, of all four. Uh, when I say poetic, I really mean that. His Greek, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read Greek real well, I read a little bit, but I mean, it's just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, you know. And iconographer I mean, it comes from a word that means sketch writing or, or um, like the like the like uh, the description writing. You know, like they use these beautiful images and symbols to convey something. And um, what he does in his gospel is is nothing short of beautiful. It's probably the most beautiful Greek in the whole New Testament, to be honest. 
Yeah, the reason um, I, I bring that up about being an iconographer is just because he does paint such beautiful images with his words. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his 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 plume is a brush. You know what I mean? Yeah. His scroll is his canvas. He's he's a very 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 talented communicator. And what's beautiful too, when you when you combine that that beauty, that imagery, that talent that the Holy Spirit had to work with, you know, because again, you know, the the evangelists are just are just the the pen and the in the hand of the Spirit. You know, but I mean, when you combine that talent with uh, with an acute a very, very brilliant, like I mean, a very methodical mind. You know, as a as a doctor, you know, and, and even um, I actually have I, I open up Luke and my, one of my favorite verses in all of Luke. It's it's a, it's usually kind of glossed over. It's verse three in chapter one. It says, "I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus." And what we have to what we have to understand right from the beginning is he's saying, "Look, people have been talking about this guy and writing about this guy." And I went and I investigated this on my own. Okay, I've sat with people. I've, 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 you know, I've gotten their testimony. I, I mean, I've been an eyewitness to the ministry of these apostles. And and because there's so much there, and I've investigated this myself. Basically, what he's saying is, you can, uh, you can take this from me. This is my word. I have done the homework, and I've decided that this is worthy of writing down in an orderly sequence because this needs to be preserved and it needs to be told, taught, and understood. You know, like, it's not, and, and basically, like, that the oral tradition that's been shared, this needs to be written down and preserved. You know, mm-hmm. so right from the very beginning, he's going to offer us uh, a, a orderly, written account of what he's seen. But again, like, when we get into the Gospels, it's really important to understand a few things about St. Luke, may I? Mm-hmm. You may. Okay. St. Luke was not a Jew. Okay, last week we talked a lot about Matthew, and, and the whole thrust of understanding the Gospel of Matthew is to understand that Matthew was a Jew. Luke was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile, and most likely a Gentile convert to Christianity. He was probably Greek by birth, okay? We, we know that um, from Colossians chapter 4, uh, because he was also a traveling companion of St. Paul. You're going to read about he, he traveling with St. Paul in the Acts of the Apostles. Why? Because he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. St. Luke... You know, Luke and the Acts of the Apostles work like Acts works as a sequel to the Gospel of St. Luke, mm-hmm. okay? where the whole Gospel of St. Luke is this journey towards Jerusalem, and now the Acts of the Apostles is now a journey away from Jerusalem. So it's sort of like where, where the two meet, where Luke leads off and, and the Acts of the Apostles begins, it's sort of like the, it's sort of like the, the apex of a mountain. Okay, so it just as as all the attention is now going to be put on the holy city during the crucifixion and then during the resurrection. Now the gospel is going to be taken to the ends of the earth, and that's what we're going to read about in the Acts, starting in Jerusalem and now going out to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. But what's beautiful about Luke, being that he is the author, is that in the Acts of the Apostles we actually see him write about himself in the first person. You know, you'll be read about oh Paul and Barnabas went here, and then Paul and I went here. You know, and that's that's really important too because it, that that puts that puts a different light and sheds a different light on the Acts of the Apostles. And it's great to read the two of them, uh, but end up next to each other to read the read Luke and then read Acts. You know, in order that that's great. Um, but we need to understand is that as a Gentile, he's going to take a little more work to explain certain things to his to his Gentile Greek audience. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's written for non-Jewish people, whereas Matthew's written for Jewish people, and it's especially written for Greeks who know very little about the Jewish faith. Okay, because he translates the Hebrew and Aramaic terms into Greek, he explains the Jewish laws, explains the Jewish customs, doesn't take things for granted in terms of people knowing Jewish geography. So he he goes he goes further to try and put the detail in this. Okay, that's that that's, that's important to understand. Also understand the Greeks admired like like living in the shadow of Greece. Okay, in the Mediterranean world, the Greeks admire human perfection. 
okay? They like they sought it, they admired it. That was the highest ideal, you know, like like to, to become like, you know, the God man, you know what I mean? And they really they, they sought it as like, so many gods for so many different things. Luke oh, many times shows and portrays Jesus as he is not just a God man, he's the God man. He's the perfect answer to to your quest. Okay, to to ascend to a higher level, he is the answer. He is the ideal. He is the he is the man, quote unquote, by which all men must be measured. He is perfect. Okay, and it's important to note that and to understand that in Luke, because because as a Greek audience, they're going in here with a lot of a lot of predisposition about you know about humans, about God, about the relationship between God and man, or God and man to be more specific. So he he's having to play with and work with all of that. And, and it's similar to, we spoke about this in Acts, uh, when Paul goes to Greece, into the Areopagus, Paul has to talk in a very different way, and he has to preach in a very different way than he did in some of the other Mediterranean cities. Because this was, this was Greece, I mean, this was the epicenter of thought, and the epicenter of philosophy. So he had to sort of change his tactics, if you will. You know, he couldn't just go in and start with theology. He had to meet them where they were. He had to start with philosophy. And we see, though, the effects. I would, I would submit, you see the effects of Luke traveling with Paul, seeing how he meets the Greek people where they are. You see those effects in Luke's Gospel. Hmm. What I also am impressed with Luke's Gospel is the prominence of women, the actual naming and the role that women play in his Gospel. Is that the Greek influence? Uh, you know what? It, it can be attributed to a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on what what scholar you listen to. Some would say, you know, it, it was because you know because the Greeks were more enlightened than maybe some of their some of their you know empire predecessors. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, I would what I would like it to, and this is just me. This is just me spitballing here. Okay, mm-hmm. um, right out of the gate. Luke picks it up with with Elizabeth, but more to the point with the Blessed Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. and with the level of detail that he shares with us in the first two chapters of his gospel, okay? There's really only two, there's only two kind of, you know, possibilities and conclusions you can come to. Either, number one, you know, he's telling you what someone passed on to him about Mary's conversation with Gabriel. He's passing on what was passed on to him. Or, number two, he's passing on to you what she told him directly. That's what I always because thought. Because the, the level of content, the level of detail, and, and even some, some scholars, and in, in fact, people even like Frank Sheed, who is a tremendous Catholic apologist and author, and many people are familiar with, he even put forward in a book uh, called To Know Christ Jesus, he had talked a lot about how the first chapters of Luke are, are uncharacteristically Greek-Greek, is what he called it. And he said you, you'll notice a, a shift in tone and in, po- in poetic language in the first two chapters than in the, the 24 that follow, mm-hmm. okay? Because what... What he was putting forward was the uh, was the idea that that Mary would, that that Luke was sitting at Mary's feet receiving her eyewitness testimony, and he didn't want to you know mess with it you know. And then the next twenty two chapters, you actually hear you know his thoughts. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. It's it's really really interesting to note that that right out of the gate he does give prominence to the Blessed Virgin Mary in a way that that the other Goth writers had not. I mean, John does in in very very uh, heavily symbolic. Ways, but you know, but we also know that John is taking care of Mary in Ephesus at the time. You know, he he's already done that for several decades, you know, for for years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But Saint Luke really fills in a lot of those gaps, and it's what begins with Mary, and then it does it continues throughout the Gospel, where we have some we have some really beautiful moments where God has these exchanges with different women. Yeah, when you read that passage about how she pondered these things in her heart, you have to wonder, you know, how would anyone know that unless she shared that with someone? 
Well, exactly. I mean, otherwise, I mean, because when you're quoting what the, what the angel said, what Mary said, that would be the highest form of pride, unless that was, unless, you know, you were visited by an angel yourself, and, and this was shared with you, unless Gabriel, you know, showed up to Luke and said, which he, he makes no mention of, we would never have any reason to believe that. You know, that would be a hypothesis at its, at its worst form, you know. That we would have, it, it would be guile and pride at the, at the highest form to say, well, I think this is what the angel said. I think this is what she probably said back. Like, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody would do that, and, and no saint would do that. You know, that, that this must have come from a source, most likely, you know, the, 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 you know, the perfect source, most likely from Mary. You know, there's, there's no reason to believe in, in the time that was eclipsed between the resurrection and the time that this was penned over 40 years, you know, 30 to, 30 to 40 years transpired in between. There's no reason to believe that during that time that, that Luke himself would not have met her or that, you know, Luke would have been sitting with one of her contemporaries who w- was, was preserving and passing on what was said in that interchange through the oral tradition of the Church. You pointed out the connection between Luke and Acts. There seems to be, when you, when you put the two of them together, there are cer- as you follow the events in the life of Jesus on earth and in the life of the Church, there seems to be just a, a parallel of rhythm at the very least, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, I mean, Acts is even, you know, Acts is even more a, a, a methodical, you know, sequence of events that transpired, you know, and, and it, because, because Luke was along, so Luke could take even more copious notes, you know, first he went here, then he went here, then he went here, then he went here, like, and, and he's putting dates to things, he's putting places to things, he's putting names to things, you know, so like the level of detail in Acts gets even more, so it does, it shows that he's, that he's someone who did his homework, but the same way that, that the Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, many have kind of said the Acts of the Apostles are sort of the Gospel of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is what happened, you know, when the, when the fire came down. And he goes on, and what's that in the beginning of Luke? It's sort of like, hey, I'm an eyewitness. I, I'm a witness of all these things. I'm sharing with you what these witnesses said, and that witness is very, very important. That we're going to hear that word right in the beginning of the God, of the Acts of the Apostles says that you are going to be my witnesses. And the word he uses for witness in Greek is martyrs. Mm-hmm. You're going to be my martyrs. Okay, and that, and martyr means witness. But what's great about Luke, as you're saying, is that like Luke emphasizes the Holy Spirit in his gospel, which would make perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because the same way he emphasized the Holy Spirit in his gospel, well, you know, he's going to be talking about Acts, and he saw firsthand with his own eyes the power, you know, the influence, the effect, the ministry, the grace of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's, what he's, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's recording in the Acts of the Apostles. But he mentions the Holy Spirit no less than 14 or 15 times in his gospel, okay, which is more than the other gospel writers. As a physician, he's, he's uniquely, I mean, he's amazed by the miracles, especially the healings of Jesus. He's going to put more emphasis on Christ's healing than any other three Gospelers, and you have to think as a physician that really caught his attention, right? Mm-hmm. He's also going to show the compassion that Christ has for the poor, for the needy, for the sick, for the helpless. Not that the other gospel writers didn't, but he's going to go even further. You know, he, he portrays this picture of Christ as compassionate. Now, remember, he's writing this to a, to a Greek people who are looking to be, you know, the the highest possible, you know, perfect individual, and he's showing that 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 perfection comes through compassion and loving neighbor, not like Saint Mark would have been trying to show that 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 you know that power because he right into a Roman audience who really responded to power. It wasn't about the power as much as it was the compassion, like the true power comes from compassion, is what St. Luke's going to say. He's going to emphasize grace. He's going to emphasize salvation. Okay, he's going to emphasize, as you, as you pointed out, Chris, the importance of Mary, the importance of women. I mean, go read in chapter 7, go read chapter 8, go read chapter 10. He's going to emphasize prayer. I mean, from, I mean, every moment of every major occurrence, whether it's the baptism, when he's caught in the wilderness, when he's choosing his disciples, the transfiguration, you know, every, everything he does is, is laced with prayer.
prayer. That basically Jesus is a walking prayer. That everywhere he goes, before he acts, before he does anything, he prays. And one of the other things you, you, I just want to point out is that Luke has a sense of urgency. Okay, that, that it doesn't just say that Mary proceeded to the hill country. It says she proceeded to the hill country in haste. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's urgency there. He's the only one when, he, when they say take up your cross, you know, and follow me. He's the only one that adds the word daily in Luke nine twenty three. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In fact, you'll read him say the word in haste or daily. You'll see the word daily five or six times. You'll see in haste four or five times. Like he puts an urgency and a, and a practicality, you know, to, to everything. I mean, the same way a doctor would like even say, take these, take this amoxicillin every, three times a day, every day until it's gone. He's very, very specific. Right? He doesn't leave a lot of them. Like the doctor is writing this on his prescription pad, take up your cross daily, not just until your back hurts and then put it down and soak in the tub. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, and it's this whole this whole gospel is about healing. It's about liberation. It's about freedom. It's about liberation from our sins leads to healing, right? Liberation from our selfishness leads to you know God's grace. It's just it's a beautiful treatise, a beautiful written work that leads us right into the compassionate, sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. Yeah. Well, he always spoke so firmly of truth, and what I mean by that is that he's never afraid to demonstrate that here is the love that's being offered here is the gift but whoa if you don't these are the consequences if you don't i mean when that that sermon on the plains they call it as opposed to the mount where you have the essentially the beatitudes but then immediately following but whoa but whoa if you fail to heed this this is what happens i think it's that doctor again you know here's the cure here's the illness yeah, it's sort of like here, here's here it's and it's here's life and here's the consequence. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a threat. You know, it's a consequence. This is this is the consequence you're gonna you're gonna understand and know and go through should you not heed this. It's, yeah, you're exactly right, Chris. It, you have this great physician. He's saying, look, you know, if you if you stop the smoking, if you stop the drinking, if you stop acting this way and that way, you're gonna get well. If you don't. You're not going to see your kids graduate. You know what I mean? Like he's very, he's very logical, very methodical. It doesn't mean he lacks compassion. Actually, it shows more compassion because he cares enough to call somebody out of their sin. Right. You know, he calls somebody, and that and that really does become sort of like, that. That is sort of how he introduces the Holy Spirit throughout the course of the gospel. Is look, you're going to know what to do. This is how you know what to do. Like the Holy Spirit is, is advocating for you, is working for you, is guiding you, is leading you. This is how you're going to know what is right. This is how you're going to know what to do. You know, it, it it really is. It's so it's so beautiful and so interesting when you have just just a few of those little background. You know, don't you think some of those little background on who's writing it, who they're writing to, why the whole gospel comes to life in a different way. You know, it 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 means it means more to us because when we lack context, then when we're reading scripture, it's just pretext. You know, if we don't take the time, and, and many of us were not raised to do this, we shouldn't feel bad, we, we shouldn't get down on ourselves, but many of us, you know, we don't really take the time, we never took the time to, to you know, have it explained to us about, hey, this is how you read Scripture. You know, make sure you read that introduction page first. Make sure you read those those footnotes. You know, make sure you do these things, because when you do those, it puts all the text into context. And with context now, now we're reading the Bible out of the heart of the Church. Now we're reading the Bible out of, you know, exegetically, the way that the, the, way that the Spirit and the authors intended. And we're not reading into it with our own preconceived notions and issues. We're reading out of it what was intended. You know, and even as you, as you pointed out, Christian, you know, very, very astutely, the Sermon on the Plain, it says in Luke, not the Sermon on the Mount. You go, well, was it on a mount? Was it on a plain? So most people would be likely to say, well, no, it must have been on a mount. Luke had it wrong, because 
we've all heard the Sermon on the Mount so many times, we've heard that, that, that phrase so many times, we just automatically assume it was on a mountain. But if you go back to what we talked about last week with Matthew, of course Matthew's going to have Jesus on the side of a mountain, because he's the new Moses, and he's, and he's talking about the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And every great thing happens on a mountain in the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. but Luke's writing to Greek people. It doesn't matter to a Greek if they're on a mountain or on a plane, it doesn't matter at all. It's not about where he is, it's about what he's saying. You know, so it it really is interesting, like those subtle little nuances. You know, things that most people don't pick up, things that most people it wouldn't necessarily you know change their life in the least. But then when you start to look at it, you say, no, but don't you understand? This is where we key into the evangelist and how the Holy Spirit uses the uniqueness of the evangelist, the experience of the evangelist, the all the talents, the gifts, the history, even the sin. The Holy Spirit can use all these things for the glory of God. You know, because. Because there were several Gospels written, but these are the four that through the discernment and, the, and through the prayer of the Holy Spirit through our early Church Fathers, these are the four that made the cut, that measured up, that are in the canon, and there's a reason for that, that what the Holy Spirit wished to reveal to us is there, and anything that he did not wish to reveal to us is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you've talked about this before with us, Mark, and to the audience, but I think it bears repeating that as you look at the four Gospels as they're outlined, that you will find things that may seem on the surface, and it's very on the surface, that they don't, they don't match up or it doesn't seem like it's right. You have to remember that this is the recordings of how many days that Jesus walked the earth. I mean, how, how many moments that he shared with people. Here are snippets written for different Culture doesn't mean that any of it's flawed or wrong or anything like that. It's just these are just the snapshots of a very, very full presence on the earth. Oh, absolutely. I, I, always, I always remind the very last thing that St. John tells us in his gospel. You know, the very last thing that he writes is, this is not everything that Jesus said and did. Okay? If everything he said and did was written down, the whole world wouldn't even contain it. Right. Like, that there's so many stories. I mean, think about it. If, if, he, if his public ministry went about three years, like most people said, three years walking with the God of the universe? You think that every day isn't journal-worthy? You think mm-hmm. every day isn't note-worthy? How he interacted with and responded to every situation? And people are like, well, you know, it only says that, that Jesus, you know, Luke is the only one to have him rejoicing. You know, Luke is the only gospel that actually says Jesus rejoiced is the gospel of Luke. And you go, well, does that mean that he was a somber, solemn, you know, God walking around himself? No, you know, like, you could say, oh, if he's only listed once. Well, that would be like saying, well, it only says he ate once, so he must have never needed to eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, ate three times, so he only ate once a year, you know? That's not what it's saying. We can't make that, in- we can't make that inference. That's irresponsible. I like to think that he was, he was joyful so often that they didn't even think to write it down. Right. You know? Because our God is a God of I mean, joy. comes from God. Like, our God is a God of joy. But, but what's, what's so interesting, and, and I think that you said it very well, Chris, is that we can't, we can't look at this and just make that assumption that, you know, oh, something must be wrong because this doesn't match up with this. You know, the, the Gospel writers were inspired by the Spirit to, to record certain things, but, but the Spirit knew what he was doing. I mean, some things were already recorded, some things didn't need to be recorded, some things, you know, would have been taken out of context or whatever, you know. Like, it, it's, they're, report, they're reporting the same events, and the way I usually kind of describe it is if, if, you were sitting at, if you were sitting at an intersection there was a car accident, okay, and then the police show up on the scene, and he asks four witnesses, four eyewitnesses for their, for their recounting of what happened, if you get four different stories, most of the facts will be the exact same. Most of the facts will be the exact same, because it was the exact same accident. But the people, the witnesses are going to accentuate different elements of what happened based upon 
a lot of things based upon how close they were standing to it, based upon you know, based upon you know their own understanding of the of physics of the day, of how things work, of how they remembered things. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna give four different testimonies of the same events. You know? mm-hmm. And in a, in a similar way, you have four gospel writers giving giving one hundred percent authentic testimonies inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know it's free of error of the same events. They're going to accentuate different things based upon their proximity to the events, and based upon when they got there, and based upon when they turned their attention away. And you know, you know, and how, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it based upon their own like personal experience. You know, I mean, if if you have if, if one of the eyewitnesses of a car accident happens to be an off-duty police officer standing on the on the corner or an off-duty, you know, um, paramedic, their their in, you know interpretation of the events are going to be drastically different than a ten-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. with no professional training who happens to be standing there, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, so exactly. it's important to remember those things that we can't just file those away, throw those things away, and say, well, because of the idiosyncrasies, or because sometimes there might be something that doesn't match up with something else, then all of a sudden, you know, that there'll be a lot of atheists or agnostics that want to try and point to that and say, see, that's why I don't believe it. That's all the more reason to believe it. If the four Gospels in our Bible were all the exact same, then how would you have any confidence it was four different people writing it, and not just one under different pen names? Mm-hmm. Yep. So now, essentially, we'd be putting all of our faith in the Gospels behind one person's take. You know, versus these four, like the, if you think about it in the, in the right way, you know, especially through the lens of the church, that those those small little nuances, those idiosyncrasies, they don't upend the truth. They actually they actually lend credence to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mark, we've just flat run out of time. time oh, I, I hate it when we run out of time. I know. Time. Hate that clock. <laughs> bad clock. Bad. bad. Bad clock. Whoa! Whoa to the clock. <laughs> oh, it's always so good to be with you all. Oh, well, we love oh, we you too, love Mark. You, Mark. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you, brother. God bless you all, and God bless the great state of Nebraska. Amen. On this week's Sampler, we're looking at our call to evangelize. Let's face facts. In general, the Catholic population at large just isn't very good at it. We lack a passion for evangelization. Our next offering on the Sampler is a homily shared by BustedHalo.com from the Friday of the 31st week of Ordinary Time. Our homilist, Father Dave, uses the story of the crafty steward, the actions of St. Paul, and the words of Pope St. John Paul II to re-inspire us to continue to evangelize in this new and constantly evolving world. That's always a fun one, that crafty steward one. It's probably, it's probably a little too much for our daily mass uh, homily brains. So, I mean, the simple message, simple but hard to carry out, that we hear in our first reading and our psalm response is one of evangelization. St. Paul had this great passion. He says, you know, I've got to go where people have never even heard of the name of Jesus Christ. That's where I need to go and tell them. I need to preach the good news. And interesting, his motivation was not because, you know, Christ commanded him to. He gave him back his sight after three days, so now it's his job. He was passionate because this really is good news. Wouldn't we want everyone to hear good news? If it is that good, that it has truly saved you and me, that it has transformed our lives, that it has freed us from sin and death, wouldn't we want that for everyone? Maybe we can think of a couple of people that uh, we have something against that we wouldn't be the first to run to. But St. Paul says, you know, I, just, I gotta go. Gotta preach. And yet in our psalm it says that 
the Lord has made himself known to all the nations. And we know in in the modern world that we live in with technology and communications that there's probably not too many people on this planet who've never heard of Jesus. That's why John Paul II, I almost said saint, I wonder if that was uh, (laughs) St. John Paul II. Uh, Pope John Paul II referred to a new evangelization. He said that, you know, we're not done just because we have managed to go to almost every corner of the earth, bringing Bibles and bringing the faith. The new evangelization is people who live in places like our own country, our own city, where certainly they have heard of Jesus. They probably even were raised in the faith. And yet, they don't have that passion in their hearts that St. Paul described. They maybe have even, or more likely have even, stopped joining us at this table. They have turned away from the practice of their faith. What John Paul II referred to as new evangelization is that we need to have that same passion of St. Paul, but not for the ancient Middle East where people are like, Jesus, who tell me about that? Who's that? We need to have that passion for bringing good news to people that have either forgotten it or don't see the need for it, don't find the relevance of faith in their everyday life. That's what we need to do. And that's hard. So we do that, not in the same ways that St. Paul did it, I'm a Paulist, and I don't even do it in the same exact ways that St. Paul did it. But we do it in our way. Each of you, each of us, is called by God to be a new evangelizer. Maybe that merely means going back to your place of work and living the good news. Maybe it does occasionally mean saying to someone in the middle of the day at about noon, hey, would you like to come with me to St. Malachi's? Usually on Thursday and Friday, there's this kind of nutty priest, works on the radio. You might like him. Maybe you bring him on a Sunday and say, we've got this wonderful choir at 11 a.m. I know you haven't been to church in a while. I'm not going to make you sign a contract. Come along with me, because I care about you and your faith. Many of us might be scared to say something like that. But that passion that St. Paul had is truly ours. You have it. I know you do. You wouldn't be here every day if you didn't value this gift. What Paul is saying is, how can I not, how can we not share it? It is such good news. It has to get out there. Even to people that heard it once and have left it aside, we need to help rekindle that somehow. So I think our readings call us not to uh, be cheating in our business dealings, but rather to be passionate about bringing others into the faith. One of my favorite things about my job here at Catholic Radio Indy is getting the opportunity to share the gospel. Sometimes when I meet someone new and they ask what I do for a living, I'll look them square in the eye and say, I'm an evangelist. The usual reaction is either a quizzical squint or sheer panic. Either way, I've got their attention. Our next offering on the sampler comes from the All Things Catholic podcast series with Dr. Edward Sree. This is St. Pope John Paul II, Open Wide the Doors for Christ.
Hi, I'm Edward Sri, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. This week, the Catholic Church celebrates the Feast of St. John Paul II, the great Pope of our time. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet him, but uh, I want to just have you imagine for a moment. Just imagine you actually had a chance to have a meeting with him. Maybe it was in confession or maybe it was spiritual direction. And imagine after you share a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. What are some of the things troubling you? What are some of the things that are weighing you down in life? Imagine if he looks you in the eye and says these words, be not afraid, be not afraid, open wide the doors to Christ. What would those words mean to you? What are you afraid of right now? What are some of the things that uh, you're anxious about that's maybe holding you back from giving your life more to Christ or entrusting these matters, these difficulties to him more? What's keeping you from opening the door more in your heart to him? Not just a little crack open, not just halfway open, but what's holding you back from opening wide the door of your heart to Jesus Christ? That's what I want to look at in this week's podcast as we are going to consider these words that St. John Paul II actually spoke. Uh, it was his first words as Pope. Uh, it was a, it comes from his opening homily at his installation mass way back in October of 1978. And we're going to look at it in this week's edition of All Things Catholic. So welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and we're going to do something new this week. I'm really excited. I've never done this before with the podcast. We're going to offer a free bonus episode this week. Yes, my friends, it's going to be a free extra bonus episode, and it's going to be all about St. John Paul II. Today, we're going to look at this one quote and apply it to our lives, but if you want to learn more about who John Paul II was, uh, we, we did a, a special edition on three historic moments in the life of JP2. And that was hard because you could pick dozens and dozens of them. But I just chose three that really impacted the world. And some of these stories you might have heard about before, but I, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more in-depth information about that because I'm going to share some of my own personal experiences with JP2. I'm also going to share with you some inside stories uh, from cardinals that knew him and really talk about how he did these three things that really impacted the world uh, to this day. And there are three things that we can actually take in our own lives and apply and have an impact on the world around us. Many times we can just look at the world and say, wow, we're against all odds. It's really dark and the culture is really declining. And is there any hope for the church today? And John Paul II lived in even darker times and he was an instrument to bring light in that darkness. What can we learn from those three historic moments in his life? for our own challenges in battling the darkness in our world today. That's what we'll, you'll get in the free bonus episode that is exclusive to everyone who is a subscriber to the All Things Catholic show notes. And those are free show notes. I know many of you have already subscribed. Anyone can get them. So you have time right now. You can go to ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Again, ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. And there you can subscribe to the free show notes that will come in your inbox every week. You'll get a little more information about every episode. And if you subscribe here later this week, you can get the free bonus episode that is exclusive to all the subscribers to the All Things Catholic show notes. So again, go to ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Again, ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic 
for the free show notes and this free bonus episode this week. But let's turn back to this quote. I want to read it to you. And it's such a moving moment here. So here we have this new pope from Poland, and he's giving his first words to the world as pope. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to welcome Christ and accept his power. Do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. Do not be afraid. So John Paul II had this sense that many people in our modern world are afraid. They're anxious. And isn't that true? I think it's even more so today. How many people live in fear? They live in anxiety. They, they, they feel so many pressures in life and they're anxious about their work. They're anxious about success. They're anxious about their relationships. They're anxious about what other people think of them. They're anxious if they're missing out on things. They're anxious about, they don't want to be lonely. They're anxious about their, their dreams for their family. There's so much anxiety that plagues the modern world. And if we're honest, it's not just the world out there because we breathe in this modern world. We've been affected by this modern world, haven't we? I bet you feel anxious sometimes as a Christian. I bet you feel anxious about things. Listen to what Jesus says about anxiety. There's one of my favorite quotes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, and it comes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your lives, what you will wear, what you will eat. Do not be anxious about this. Seek first the kingdom. Trust, in other words, Jesus is saying, trust that God is going to take care of you. I, I think this is a great little little practical insight for our lives. And John Paul II is putting his finger right on the same point. You know, whenever we find ourselves worried about something excessively, I mean, it's good to have concern and plot through and think through things, but sometimes we get, we get these burdens that are weighing on our heart, right? And sometimes maybe you feel just worried and anxious about something. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's about something happened with one of your kids or one of your schools. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in and, and or maybe it's finances, you know, or what's your next step in life going to be in. And, and it's just weighing us down. Whenever we have that kind of anxiety in our hearts, that's, that's like a sign that something's a little bit off. You know, it's kind of like the check engine light. Do you ever see that come on in your car when the check engine light goes off in your car? That's a sign that something is off. You, you need to, you need to check the engine. And, and when you sense that anxiety in your life, that's a sign that something is off spiritually. It's a sign that you're, you're too attached to something maybe, or it's a sign that you're not really trusting God with your life, or uh, it's a sign that you want too much control in your life and you're not really letting God be the one guiding you. Uh, and so Jesus makes that point, you know, don't be anxious, seek first the kingdom. And I think many times when we experience this anxiety in life, it's because we're not opening wide the doors to Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. You know, I, I, I want you to, I want you right now to think about one area in your life, one area that you're really anxious about right now. Again, maybe it's a situation at work, a situation at your parish or in your home or in a certain relationship you know, or some big decision you have to make. What, what's one area right now that you are anxious about? that you're afraid, you're afraid about it. And then I want you to encourage you to take some time today to just talk to Jesus about it. Just name it. Name that fear. Just, it's okay just to go to Jesus and admit it. That's actually a really good thing instead of just being plagued by anxiety, plagued by fear. 
Name the fear. Tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm really worried about this. Don't just pray to Jesus, Jesus solve the problem, but actually just talk about maybe it's not the problem out there, the thing at work or the thing in your family life that God wants to work on first and foremost. Maybe there's something in your heart that he wants to work on. Maybe you're too attached to something, or maybe you're not ordering your life the proper way, and that's why you have all this anxiety. There might be something in you. So before he fixes the problem out there, maybe there's something he wants to fix in your heart. I know that's the experience that I have many times where when I get anxious and I'm worried, I'm thinking, how do I solve that problem? How do we fix this? And and then I have to just pause you know, later on, and I realize, no, Lord, what is it that you want to do in me? Yeah, I'll still try to think about that problem. I'm going to talk about that with you later. But I, I think I think you're wanting to point out some weakness in me, something you're trying to address in my own heart, Lord. And so I think that's a, a wonderful thing to do, to just name your fear, to talk to Jesus about that fear and just admit, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I'm wondering, I think I'm too attached. This is how I wanted this project at work to go through and it's not going through or I, I don't like this situation in the office or uh, this is, you know, the struggle. I'm really worried about one of my kids, whatever that is, name that fear, talk to Jesus about it. That's the beginning of you finding the peace that comes in Jesus. That's the first step toward opening your heart more, opening the door of your heart more to Christ. Tell Jesus about your anxieties and then ask him, say, Lord, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be enslaved by my fears. I don't want to 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 be too controlling. You know, because that's often what the cause of fear and anxiety is. It's control. I'm controlling something. I I think that this is what's going to make me happy. Uh, I think I absolutely need this to be fulfilled and if this happens, my life will be a disaster and I'm too attached to certain things of this world, certain, you know, way people look at me, the a certain position I have, a certain reputation I have, or um, certain financial situation I have, or whatever it is, I'm too attached to something. And Jesus wants me to let it go and, and to open wide the doors to him, the doors of my heart to him, and not be enslaved to my fear. So really think about your fear, name it, talk to Jesus about it, and then ask Jesus to help you to let go of that control. Tell him, tell Lord, I, I don't want to be so controlling. I, I want to be really open that maybe if you have a different plan, that I, I want to trust you and trust that that plan is better for me than anything I can think of. You know, um, I, I think that's a very important point, by the way, is to, to always remember that. That God's plans, God's dreams are so much bigger than any plan or dream that we can come up with. And we know that that's true. Remember that he is God. He made us. He made the universe. And he does have a real plan for our lives. And when I get too attached to my plan, then I can't experience the abundant blessings that come uh, from, from his plan that is always so much bigger. So many times when I've been personally, like I've been too attached to something and then uh, I fight for it and and then it doesn't work out and I'm all disappointed at first or I'm worried or I'm anxious and then it, then as the weeks go on or maybe the months go on, all of a sudden I, I look back and I realize, you know, I'm really glad that, that my plan didn't work out because I start to see that, wow, what Jesus opened up here is, is, is so much better. Or, or if I had gone down that other road, I didn't see it at the time, but that, that wouldn't have been the best for me. So really open wide the doors to Christ. You know, this quote is very dear to me personally because um, 
Uh, I've used it so many times ever since my early days as a teacher at Benedictine College. I'd share this with all the college students, encouraging them to surrender their lives to Christ, to put Jesus first, to really seek the kingdom first, open wide the doors for Christ in your heart. And then I would do the same thing with all the focused missionaries and the focused students around the country. Really, I, I turned to this quote so many times, but there was a great moment where God used this quote on me <laughs> personally. I mean, he did many times, but in a big way. It was back in 2006. I was uh, had been teaching at Benedictine College in Kansas there for nine years and loved it. It was an amazing Catholic school and just, uh, just loved the students, loved the faculty, had so many good friends there. Um, and, and my wife and I were very happy, you know, raising our, our first couple of kids there. It was just, just an incredible blessing. And then I started discerning in prayer as I was offered to come to Denver to be closer to focus and the Augusta Institute. And, uh, I, I remember discerning, you know, when it was, should I go? And at first I just didn't want to, I, I loved the idea of focus and I loved the idea of the Augusta Institute, but, but I really loved Benedictine college and I was pretty settled there. And I, I just thought, yeah, I think I'll probably just stay. But my spiritual director encouraged me, no, no, Ted, really just be at least pray about it a little more, be really open to it. And so I did. And the more I prayed about it, the more I was sensing that God wanted me to give up what I loved so much. And he wanted me to be willing to trust him and go out to Colorado where there was a young organization that's just getting started and not, you know, doesn't have a big plan, not a lot of finances. And, you know, yeah, well, well how am I going to support my family? What if the whole thing closes down? Well, you know, God's like, just trust me. <laughs> and and I didn't want to. I wanted to stay in this school that had been around for 150 years. It's not going anywhere. And I was, it was all set and, you know, just just really, really loved my work there and loved the people there. But more and more, I, I was sensing that God was wanting me to let go of my dream and trust his plan. And I'll never forget the night I went to a Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. And it was a chapel I always prayed in, and I would, but I was there late at night. And I was there for many nights in this these couple of weeks as I was wrestling with God and discerning this. And then it struck me while I was there, this quote, Be not afraid, open wide the doors to Christ. I remember just sitting there and all of a sudden that quote came to mind. And as soon as I thought of that quote, I said, Oh, <laughs> Lord, I know, I know now, I know what you want. And, and it was just so clear that God wanted me to, to let go, to open wide the doors of Christ, to trust him, to let go of my plan and my dreams and the, all the things I loved and being close to the people I love so much, to, but to go on mission and, and to move to Denver and to trust him that it would all work out. And I had good friends here too, but it was all going to be really new and fresh and, and it wasn't sure how it was all going to play out. And, uh, and I remember just sitting there in the chapel. And the key deciding moment for me at that moment was uh, I realized that all these years I have been challenging hundreds and hundreds of students at Bennington College and then on many other campuses at Focus with this quote, to be not afraid and to open wide the doors to Christ. And I knew that if I turned down this call from the Lord and not go to Denver, that I could never stand up before those students again and give that quote. I just knew it. I knew I because I, 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 I knew I wouldn't if I wasn't willing to live that out in my own life and truly open wide the doors to Christ and entrust my life really to him in this really big way then I couldn't stand in front of the students and challenge them with this quote. And, and as soon as I realized that I knew I knew and I, I remember I came home from the chapel it was like one o'clock in the morning and I, and Beth was, you know, in bed and 
I, I, I come into bed and I said, Hey Beth, I, I think we're supposed to go to Denver. And then she says, Oh, I know. And I go, what do you mean? You know, I've been wrestling this for weeks with, with this for weeks and for months. She goes, Oh no, I, I knew we should go right away, but I knew that you just needed to sort it out with the Lord first. <laughs> so, uh, our, oftentimes I call my wife lady wisdom. She often sees things, uh, uh, from the Lord much quicker than her hard-headed husband does. But but this quote was so important for my life and so many times, but particularly that that critical moment. And as we were approaching this great feast of St. John Paul II this week, I wanted to share with you a quote that's made such a difference in my life. And I pray it can make such a difference in yours. So remember that whatever you, is burdening you right now, whatever you're troubled by, talk to Jesus. You know, kind of like that's what I did in the chapel that day. Name that fear and then beg Jesus to to not let you not, not let yourself be controlled by that fear. Beg him to give you the grace to open wide the doors to Jesus Christ in your life. And when you do that, you will find your life may not go in the directions that you had planned and you'd hoped for but they're going to be so much better and it's going to bless the world. This is another key thing I want to really emphasize here is, you know, it's not just about you. Your life is not just about you and what you do and what, you know, your choices and your plans. When you limit your life and and you're just controlling everything, it's not only you're, you're limiting the blessings God wants to give you personally by keeping the door only partially open in your heart to him. You're limiting the blessings that God wants to, bring to the people around you through you, your spouse, your children, your friends, your family. And if you're single, think about your future spouse, your future children too. You know, it's not just about you. You know, that's the thing for John Paul II. He himself opened wide the doors many times in his life. If he didn't radically uh, risk his life to meet in a clandestine group uh, during the Nazi occupation in Poland. If he didn't go to 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 meet with these other lay people for formation, you know, he that was that was the time that he ended up through that process of this small group of other men that he d- ended up discerning eventually to become a priest. If he didn't risk his life to be a part of that small group for faith formation. He may have never decided to become a priest and we could go, oh, wow, well, he would have missed out on, you know, being a great priest and a great bishop and a great pope and while that, you know, you know, his life would have been different. It's not just his life would have been different. The world would have been different. The world would dramatically be different today. We wouldn't have theology of the body. Just, just think about that. Think about the world without theology of the body today. That's just one great gift that John Paul II gave the world. Well, the Lord gave the world through him. You know, your life, you have no idea what God has in store for you, but say yes to him. Because if you truly open wide the doors to Christ in your life, and give up your little dreams and entrust your dreams to his dreams, which are so much bigger and so much better, it not only will be a blessing to you, but it may bless your family, may bless your friends, may bless your parish, the wider church in ways you can never imagine. It's not just about you. So for the sake of not just your life, but all the people in your life and all the people God wants to touch through you, please, please be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Jesus Christ. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to get the free episode to learn a little more about St. John Paul II and the three historic moments that really changed the world, you can get that free exclusive bonus episode if you are a subscriber to the show notes. So you can get those free show notes 
Sign up for those today at ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Again, ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. And you can always reach out to me directly as well on my website, edwardsstreet.com. And you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks for listening and God bless. In order to share our faith, to evangelize, we must be prepared at all times to explain what it is we believe. This is Joan Watson from 3-Minute Theology with a look at apologetics. If you go to our website, 3minutetheology.com, we have all our past episodes organized by topic. And one of those topics is called apologetics. So what exactly is apologetics? Well, you might be thinking it's giving an apology, right? That's what it sounds like, right? An apology. And it is from the Greek word apologia. But that Greek word doesn't have the connotation to say, I'm sorry that I did something, but rather it has the connotation of making a reasoned defense. It's like a lawyer defending their client in a trial. We think of the famous apology of Socrates. So when we look at the idea of apologetics, it's simply a reasoned defense or explanation of the faith. Why do we believe what we believe, and are we prepared to explain that? We see in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense, it's that same Greek word, to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. And so what Peter's reminding us is that be prepared if someone asks you why you do something, if someone asks you why you believe in something, if someone wonders where you get the hope that you have in living for Christ Jesus, be prepared to explain why. I love our faith and I'm never afraid of questions because those questions always have answers. And so apologetics studies the faith so that we're able to explain why we believe what we believe. Apologetics can be kind of distilled into three different types. Natural apologetics explains things that can be really um, discussed through reason alone. Things like the existence of God, things like the, the, the existence of truth and right and wrong. Christian apologetics generally concerns things like the resurrection or the virgin birth or the divinity of Christ. And then we have Catholic apologetics, which of course encompasses everything in Christian apologetics, but it tends to focus on things that non-Catholic Christians don't believe. Things like, well, why do we believe in purgatory as a Catholic? Or why do I believe in the dogmas of the Blessed Mother? Or why do I believe in the Eucharist? And so when we look at the study of our faith, we have to remember when we engage in apologetics, what are we not doing? We're not engaging in a fight. And I think as Christians, we have to remember that we love the truth and we want to know the truth and we want everyone around us to know it as well. Not because we want to win an argument, but because we want everyone to have the same hope that is in, that is in us. And so when we look at first Peter, first Peter concludes that by saying, always do it with gentleness and reverence. So approach these discussions in prayer, in love and charity, and with gentleness, because we want everyone to know the truth so that they can love Jesus Christ. And that's a little theology in three minutes. And that's all the time we have for this week's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. This episode, along with links to more of the podcasts we've shared, is available at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Blanford. Have a great week and may God bless. 
You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.